I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Catherine Adamick. Catherine is a two-time Olympic medalist in speed skating. And since retiring from competitive speed skating, she has started a performance coaching business at FixYourMindset.com, empowering others to improve the way they move, think, and feel. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me. To get things started, what's a book you've read recently that has helped mold or fix or change your mindset? Well, one of the most powerful books that I've read, maybe not recently, but just in regards to mindset, is actually called Mindset um, by Carol Dweck. And and I'm constantly reading and trying to, to learn new perspectives. But I do think that when I think about mindset and what got me on this path, that book really stands out. I also have enjoyed revisiting over the years a book called The Four Agreements. And so between those two books, I I often find when reading that a lot of people are saying the same things in a little bit different language. And once you've found a language that really sits and resonates with you, that it's important to continue going back and trying to embody that message. It's very easy mm-hmm. to get down too many rabbit holes and eventually you start becoming less effective because none of that information is being aimed in a specific direction. And so I would Mm -hmm. say between those two books, they're, they're both ideas that I continually revisit to make sure I'm, I'm staying on point. As you think about those two books, is there something that resonates the most as you're thinking about it right now that sort of pops out to you as you, as you recall those, those books? Yeah. So in mindset, The idea is all about growth mindset versus fixed mindset and that in a growth mindset, you're just not there yet. And I always, that's, that's very encouraging for me because I think a lot of, I use the word high performer because in the athletic world, um, that's just how I I generally refer to someone who does a good job. It also tends to kind of carry some of their performance anxiety with them and someone who carries that performance anxiety may often get stuck feeling like I'm, I'm not there, I'm not there, I'm not there. And you can change that narrative just by saying, I'm not there yet. And that opens the door, why, why aren't I there yet? Well, you know what, I really, really goofed my sleep last night, or I really prioritized um, something silly. Um, or even on the other side, maybe you prioritize something that was meaningful, like your family or your friends or something important, but 
it's not necessary to, to be there already because you're still doing important, meaningful things. It's okay sometimes to be going in different directions. You know, sticking with that idea of mindsets, what's the first step as we think about changing or altering or fixing one's mindset? You work with a lot of people. You guide a lot of people. What's a first step that you help them get Awareness to? Awareness is step one. Hmm. Uh, because most people, most people know when they're stuck, but they don't necessarily know what they're stuck on. And I try hmm. to relate everything back to athletics and specifically speed skating. And so if I'm coaching a speed skating athlete and they're struggling with their corner, corner exit, I'm going to review what's going on with that athlete's corner entry. And so I do hmm. find that there's this awareness of like, I know that what I'm doing isn't quite working. What, the step after that then is, is like, okay, where are the wheels falling off? And they're probably falling off two or three steps before you're noticing symptoms. And so that's the yeah. biggest thing that I try to help with. And generally there's a, a process where you just help people define what it feels like versus what not it feels like. And so then we can start hmm. to define success. And then we can start to say, okay, on the days that you got it, what'd you do? On the days that you didn't, would you not do? Um, and start to be analytical in a more rational way. So again, on the sports, I, I think this happens a lot in sports, and I'm sure it happens in the education industry as well, that it's like that sucked gets confused with I sucked. And that to me is the two or three steps before where the wheels are falling off. And if you're struggling because you're taking a mistake personally or you're criticizing and analyzing your personal self as opposed to the task or the behavior at hand. It's very difficult to find a solution to I suck. It's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's pretty, it's reasonably easy to find a solution to that sucked because you can ask why. Yeah. And that yeah. why is the rabbit hole and that's where awareness comes from. So some of our listeners, including me, the host, you know, asking these questions, some of this is new to us. So we're trying to get our heads around the idea of awareness, right? So I'm getting there. I'm sort of getting the idea around like, you know, that sucked versus I suck. And I can sort of, it resonates, you know, it's a different experience saying I suck versus that sucked and interacting with that and moving forward without getting too deep into it. Take us a little bit down the journey, the pathway as we progress forward. Yeah. So the first thing I would suggest is defining that difference between I, that sucked and I suck. And then after that, it's a question game. Um, and I think a lot of the times it's easy to want to know the right answer. But sometimes what you really need to know is the right question because you can search for answers all day long and not know if you've got the right one yet, but the right question tends to really help. And so commonly in terms of, of self-talk, there's a few different buckets that negative self-talk falls into. And I'll just give a point of reference here. I actually learned this when I was preparing for the 2018 Olympic trials. I started working with a sports psychology and a sports psychology app. Actually, it's a meditation and mindfulness app called Vision Pursue, but they have a section of it that's made specifically for coaches and for athletes. And that's what I was doing for my mental preparation going into the Olympic trials. And, and this program had broken down negative self-talk into five buckets. And most people fall somewhere into one of these buckets. And it's, I can't, I quit, I suck, poor me, or the world is full of idiots. 
And between these five buckets, most self-talk tends to fall into one of these. And what's important to notice there is keeping it objective, not taking it personally. Again, not saying I sucked or they suck or I can't or poor me, but okay, why? Why are you stuck in this headspace? And if it's the right question, it'll lead to more questions. And the easiest way is to just keep asking why. Um, and I'll share a story from my, again, training for 2018. There was a workout I really struggled with. And every week we'd hit this workout and every week I would struggle. And one week I was in the middle. And I'll be honest with you, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was thinking like, man, I just can't get this. I suck. I should quit. I'm never making another Olympic team. Like I was in a negative self-talk bubble. And rhetorically, I asked myself, God, why can't I get this? And I had an answer. And the answer was, well, you're not accelerating that fast out of the corners. And I had this conversation with myself, was, which sounded like, yeah, okay, option A is I suck. Option B is my accelerations out of the corners are not as strong as they need to be for this type of set. Okay, what can I do about that? Can I move my feet faster? Sure, yeah, I could. Can I take my corner exits wider and carry more speed? Totally. What can I be doing along the way to make sure my corner accelerations are on point? And that takes the focus off of the individual and onto the process. And once you're focused in on the process, like, don't get me wrong, some days you're working hard and your feelings still get hurt because not every day is good. But you at least have a, a process for asking yourself questions and finding solutions. And that to me leads, you know, regardless of if you're on the same road or if it leads down a different road, you're going somewhere. Whereas coming back to that idea, I suck doesn't have a solution. Um, but that sucked. Why did that suck? That does. And so it's awareness is key. You know, which bucket are you falling in? And then start asking yourself why. Continue asking that, that question until you're able to get yourself out. Yeah, it sounds like those questions are sort of the hinge that opens up the awareness. Uh, and without those questions, you're just mm -hmm. stuck in that, you know, that I suck mode. What helps you ask those questions to yourself? I'm sure it's, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, right? It's this constant growth um, in that. What helps you ask those questions and not just stay stuck in that other space? Um, well, I personally, I have to journal on it. Um, and something mm. I tell my athletes very often, specifically, in regards to gratitude, because gratitude is one of the most powerful stress relievers, especially if we're talking about performance anxiety. If you're waiting until the moment you're stressed to practice gratitude, you're way too late. It's, it's not going to mm. come naturally in that moment. But if you're practicing a sense of gratitude every day, whether that's part of your wake up routine or your journaling routine or whatever, in the moments when you need it, you'll have put in enough time and effort, you'll have done the reps, and you can pull on that skill when it's, when it's necessary. And I'd say the same thing about asking these questions. Um, I'll tell you that the majority of the time, you don't realize that you got stuck until you have hindsight. And so for me, it started with using my hindsight to say, I'm not really happy with that result. Why aren't I happy with it? And going back and reflecting helps me see where I got stuck. Again, it's two or three steps before the problem showed up. And I can then journal on what was my mindset? How did I get there? What could I do differently to get out? And the last, but also the most important piece is then you visualize yourself doing a better job 
next time. And that's, that's the key and that's where the repetition is because you have to continually practice a skill, no matter what that skill is. It has to be practiced before it can be performed. And for me, journaling has been a really big part of that. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that you do a lot of coaching and, and that's what you're doing a lot these days. Um, how are you able to bring this stuff that we're talking about right now with our mindset into your everyday coaching and interacting with different athletes? Yeah, um, I have found the classroom to be the most effective place to teach it. Um, but mm. I think a lot of it, when teaching, a lot of it also comes down to repetition. And so I'll speak from a coach's perspective, and I know that it's I know it's similar in the education world. There is a curriculum that has to get done. There are reps and sets that mm-hmm. we have to get in today. Uh, and it's yeah. easy to get down that path and realize, you know, every athlete in this gym is struggling with negative self-talk. And so at that moment as a coach, mm-hmm. I feel as though I have a choice. So I blow this workout dead, which I can do as a, as a coach. I can turn the music off and tell everybody to circle up and we can talk and we can say, this is what's happening. This is how to fix it. Now, actually getting athletes or students to engage in that moment and to start to fix their own mindset, that is always the struggle. Um, but to be honest with you, I just try to keep a few nuggets in my pocket and I know that not everyone's going to pick up on everything that I have to say, but if I can say one small thing, if I can remind one person to bring their water bottle or to keep up their positive self-talk, um, or whatever that is, Mm -hmm. if just one person gets the message, that's a, that's a good start. And so I know that when I'm trying to apply things, that's the, what I kind of try to hold on to is that if I can just get one person, if there's one person to whom I can get the points across, that's, that's a good thing. And that's going to keep us moving in the right direction. Yeah. You mentioned that you prefer to do that sort of work in the classroom. What would that look like? Bring us into you interacting and, and helping people, uh, young people change their mindset in the classroom. Well, one of the first things I like to do in the classroom is talk about how to win and w.i.n what's important now because i feel Mm. that that translates into any setting if you're about to take a test what's important right now is it that the cute guy just Mm. sat down next to you or is it that it's a times test and you forgot to take a bathroom break um you know these are the things that if you want to have a good outcome did you pack a water bottle did you eat a good breakfast these types of things and in the weight room or just in the classroom with my athletes, we keep it more specific to our sport. And yeah, what's important now? What's important now is how are my teammates doing? How's my warm up going? Um, am I prepared strategically? Do I have all my equipment ready? And mm-hmm. I just find that distraction is absolutely everywhere. And I know that when I was an athlete, I was very regimented and very routine. And I don't know that everybody thrives in that circumstance. So having a process, if you're not going to be a robot about it, which is I don't recommend that, I recommend you to be (laughs) as natural and loose as possible. At the same time, preparation is necessary. And so what's important now, finding two or three things that the mind can focus on. That way, when a distraction comes in, you can remind yourself, nope, these are the things and you can redirect that energy. But if you're going in with just kind of like, okay, I hope I do well, you might or you might not. 
at least defining what a positive outcome looks like will help you gain that awareness to keep coming back to the goal. So a student is ready to take a test, right? They have a test later on in the week. They want to do well. How would you guide them to have this win mindset versus just, yeah, you know, you know, I hope I do well on that. Um, bring us into that. So if we're a week out from a test or a big competition, it could really go either way. I would ask that student or athlete to define what what will make you feel successful at the end of this. And sometimes it's going to be mm. a performance-based goal, like I want an A+. And sometimes it's going to be a process-based goal, um, which maybe doesn't translate as well in a school setting, but in an athletic setting, if you are achieving process-based goals, you're going to be happy with your performance regardless of the outcome. So first mm. I would ask, Make sure you know what's going to make you happy with your outcome and then ask yourself what steps are necessary in order to get that outcome. By asking those questions, mm. we know the things that are important. We know, everybody knows, eight hours of sleep, yeah. plenty of water, real, healthy food, mostly fruits and veggies, um, managing your anxiety, having your equipment prepared, whether that's a student with your lead, lead pencils or your an athlete with your skates sharpened. Um, <laughs> and then again, that third step is visualizing because otherwise there's a tendency for goals to just become words on paper. But if I'm going to bed and I'm visualizing in the morning, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to wake up with a good attitude. And the first thing I'm going to do is have a big glass of water. The second thing I'm going to do is, you know, maybe check in with my mom or dad or my loved one and have some good food to eat. And then I'm going to prioritize my time getting to school, preparing for my test, mm. um, creating it in your head first, because that way it's more likely to happen. So that last step is always visualizing not just the outcome that you want, but the steps that you're willing to take to get there. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks for walking us through that and, uh, and helping us better understand that. You also mentioned something that resonated with me, the negative self-talk. And you said, you know, a lot of people struggle with this. And, and I, I agree. Even last night, I was bowling with a couple of friends. I'm not a bowler. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, but even as I'm going up and, and bowling, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm telling myself, you're going to get a gutter ball. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I could care less. But but that was there still. So why does negative self-talk uh, plague so many people? Yeah. So self-talk is, is pretty constant. Your brain has what are called auto thoughts. And your brain can even sometimes go onto what's considered like a default mode. And in that mode, your brain is very aware of its surroundings and there's mm -hmm. a tendency to be aware of what's negative. And you can look at that as a, as a good and a bad thing. On the bright side, your emotions are what warn you when something bad is coming up. Like you yeah. get 10 gutter balls in a row, you might feel kind of silly and not gonna <laughs> do that anymore, you know? <laughs> um, so there's this fear. And then surrounding that fear, we get some, some negative self-talk. So that's okay. pretty normal. What I think is important is to, again, awareness, listen and notice when self-talk becomes negative. And so I, my advice would be then to frame it in the positive. So regardless of how good or bad you are at bowling, um, oh man, I hope this doesn't go in the gutter. That self-talk turns into, all right, I'm going to keep this in the lane you're saying the exact same thing. You're just looking at it from a different angle. Um, and athletes of any, of any walk, of any sport, um, I would say the same thing. You know, instead of 
this is what I don't want, reframing your self-talk so that you're focusing on this is what I do want. Yeah, speak to this, mm -hmm. though. Uh, so I'm not a good bowler, right? But I'm up there, and now I'm flipping it. I'm telling myself, Matt, you are going to get a strike. You are going to get a strike, and I'm, and I'm convinced. But I go up there, and I hit two pins down. So just positive self-talk sort of won't get the job done right. either. So how do you balance yeah, those? Yeah, you find the middle because if you mm. go from, well, I don't want a gutter ball to I do want to strike, there's a middle there which sounds like I want to keep this in the lane or I'm going to keep my mm. eyes right here on the first pin. And there is definitely something to be said. Wishful thinking doesn't necessarily, in my experience, doesn't Interesting. work. Interesting. It's positive, right? But if it's that performance outcome versus process outcome yeah. and you don't control your performance. I mean, I can speak directly to this on, on the best racing day of my life. And I'll give you some background in 2010 at this, at the Vancouver Olympics, I had a really good chance of getting a few individual medals and on my best chance in my best distance, I goofed up and I got fourth and it was, a really devastating moment because I had been so uh, focused on my outcome goal, which was, I mean, I, I realistically thought I had a good chance for first or second, and then to not even make it onto the podium, that, that really, really hurt. Um, but I can say pretty positively, you can train your whole life for something and do everything just right, and you make one mistake and at one bad time, and that, now your performance is gone. And so if you're too engaged with the positive outcome and not enough engaged with the positive process, yes, that can get very discouraging over time because you're not seeing the success, you're not seeing the improvement, all you're seeing is that you're not there yet. So I would say scaling that back, if it's not realistic to be getting all strikes today, what's realistic? Keeping the ball in the lane is realistic. Hitting one of those three center pins or at least focusing on it, that's realistic. Um, so yeah, I just ask people to scale their self-talk and to ask themselves where are they really at right now? Yeah, that's, that's helpful thinking about wishful thinking versus positive self-talk. Can you give us another example, maybe something that you've worked with athletes, uh, with? So I've worked with some athletes before and this happens. I see this often with athletes who are very naturally talented and have a lot of physical ability that they can see the trajectory that they're on and they can see that if they stay there, they should be, and I'm, I'm using air quotes here, good enough. <laughs> I need to really <laughs> clarify the air quotes around the words good enough. Um, and then good enough becomes this outcome goal. Like I, I win enough, I score enough, I'm, I'm a leader enough. Asking that athlete, especially when they're in a slump, which is when they need it the most, but asking that athlete to scale back today and tell themselves, you don't need to be perfect. You need to be patient along this process. And where are mm. you at right now? This is the most challenging thing that I feel as though I've ever had to do for myself as well as for others is genuinely ask, how can I meet myself or others where they're at right now? Not where I want them to be a year from now, not where I think they should be today, but where they're at right now. And that's, a challenge because especially as a coach you go in and you're prepared and you have a task that you you're planning on getting done today but then you walk in and your athletes aren't prepared um and 
you can, as a coach, continue to stay in that space where you're meeting them where you needed them to be at to achieve the goal today, or you meet them where they're actually at today. And sometimes where they're actually at is just needing a pep talk, being told this is the goal, I planned this for you, come on, let's go. And sometimes meeting them where they're at means, man, I did not, I didn't plan effectively. I planned A and they need B. So, okay, we're doing B instead today. And that's very difficult, you know, in the moment. It's very rattling sometimes to have to totally change your plan. But that, to me, has always been where I've made the biggest impact. And to me also, that's changed the way that I communicate with myself. And I feel that that's another really important part of mindset coaching is having the skills to speak to yourself in a positive way. And then that self-talk will automatically help others. There's this tendency, again, with high performers that, oh, I just want to be perfect. You know, I put so much work into planning plan A and it's exactly what I want. It does exactly what I want it to do. And then having to take that piece of humble pie and say, plan A is not going to work. Doesn't that just hurt sometimes, you know? And and then you take your piece of humble pie and you adjust as needed and you keep moving forward. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But that to me is where you have to be able to talk to yourself and meet yourself where you're at. Because if nothing else, that's an opportunity for me as the coach or for you as the educator to learn. Um, And that's exactly what we're asking our athletes and their students to do is learn. So shouldn't we also be in a place where we're open-minded enough to learn? I hear you bringing up again and again and again the importance of the process, right, throughout Many of your examples and your personal examples in the Olympics and the examples that you walk people through, why is the process so important? Well, process can give you something to feel confident in, even on the days that you don't succeed. So I'll share an example of my my best race of my whole life. I didn't win, but I timed every pass perfectly. I was aggressive in all the right moments. I was defensive and and sometimes even passive in all the right moments. Um, And then on the very last corner of the last lap, this other athlete and I, we just dove for the line and we were synced up, but we were going, you know, going together and we collided and we fell and neither of us won. Oh, wow. But when I look back on that race, that was the best, that was the best job I ever did because I was was in a flow state, which always helps. But Mm. also what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? There's no part of that performance that I wasn't proud of, but I didn't win. And so since that moment, I've had a saying I use with athletes that results don't always indicate performance. And I think when you're following a process, you can be proud of your performance because you can check those process-oriented boxes. And when you're only focused on the outcome, the only way you get to check the box is with the result that you want. And sometimes you don't get to check the results box, but every single other box got checked on the way. And so for me, that Mm. really puts into perspective, there are only so many things I can control. I can control four out of five things. And so if I can check four of those boxes just through effort alone, the fifth box may or may not get checked, but I'm still a lot more likely gonna get checked if I checked all the other four boxes first. A lot Mm. more likely than if I only focus on checking that one box only. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful. And thinking about your Olympic experience, right? How did that help grow uh, your mindset personally for you? Yeah. My 2010 experience 
was completely different from my 2018 experience. So in 2010, mm. I was a medal contender. I ended up leaving with two medals, a silver and a bronze. I also got a fourth place and a seventh place. So four top 10 finishes. I was very, very happy yeah. with that. In 2014, I, I was hurt. I'd had three hip surgeries between 2010 and 2012, and I just wasn't going to be better in time for 2014. So I had one Olympics where I had so much success, the next Olympics where I wasn't even in the mix, let, let alone being a medal contender. And then in 2018, I had some of my health back. I had experience with coaching at that point, so I could be a little more detailed and analytical with my process. But now I'm a little bit older, and my I'm not injured, but my old injuries tend to come up. And so to have to learn how to deal with being 21 and on fire and doing a lot of things right, going through that injury process and then coming back and being 28 and really having to work smarter, not harder, that forced me to learn completely opposite ends of the performance spectrum. What made you want to come back in 2018? What made you want to go through that, you know, grueling rehab process and week after week, day after day to get back to what you were like before those uh, injuries? A big part of it was feeling like I had been unable to move on and feeling like I'm, mm. I'm so lucky that I didn't have an injury that mandatorily finished my career. I had an injury that altered my path and made the trajectory that I was on no longer possible, but it didn't end my career. And I had, I had this extra chance to try again. It worked well with where I was as a professional. It worked well with where I was as a student. Um, I had family that was supportive. And it was kind of a combination between deep down, I still think I can do this. But there was yeah. also this emotional part where even if I can't, I still think this is the right thing to do. And that's something I learned through athletics is I really think it's the right thing to try. And you don't always have to know what you're supposed to be doing better. But if what you're doing isn't working, it's important to be trying in a new direction. And hmm. where I was in 2016, that However I got there, I decided this is this is not the direction, and I don't know what to do next, but I know better than to stay here. So let me redirect this energy into a more positive place. For me, that was skating, um, and mm. I had an opportunity to be a mentor for several athletes coming up, uh, several athletes in the younger generation who kind of knew me, but to go back, and I like to think that maybe they got to learn a little bit from me, and I got to share some energy with them. Um, there was really nothing, almost nothing but positives that could come from it. And so even though, like I said, I didn't get the result that I wanted, it's still something I'm, I'm proud that I did. Following 2018, you know, you came back, you performed very well, you felt good about it. How were you able to move on from that point? You know, I thought that moving on would be a black and white process, that I would be able to close the mm -hmm. book on speed skating and move on to my next career. And what I found was that life is a process just like sport. And I wasn't mm. expecting that. I was very much expecting like in life, it's a lot easier to just check yeah. your boxes. But what I found yeah. was, okay, this is life is just a different kind of sport. And you still have to have these process based goals. 
uh, you still have to have a process of self-reflection and the ability to define what you do and don't want. And I actually find it a bit harder in real life because athlete life has a time standard. I have to be this good by mm. this time. And it's very yeah. easy to work backwards on like deciding what you want when you have a very specific goal on a very specific time frame. But life is more open-ended than that, and it needs to be because it's it needs to be fun. So it has mm. been a very interesting shift for me to figure out what skills were just helpful for my sport versus what skills actually transition over into life. And that, like I said, that was not just mm. closing the book or turning the page. That has been an ongoing process. I love that. You're keeping the idea of the process front and center for us as we're uh, listening and thinking about all of the things that you're sharing, all of the stories that you're sharing. Um, Catherine, I believe you coach hockey players and speed skaters. Is yes, that correct? So what's the difference? Give us a little difference. You're coaching hockey players and you're coaching speed skaters. What's the difference between the way you interact with hockey players versus speed skaters? Well, it's interesting because it's a, it's a team sport mindset versus an individual sport mindset. Hmm. The team sport mindset, to me, has a lot more to do with sharing positive energy. And but what's what's the common denominator between both sides is thinking that you can. So regardless of if I'm working with team sports or individual sports, the common denominator is believing that you're capable of achieving your goal and then setting those goals in a reasonable space. So back to the idea of throwing a strike. If I'm working with a speed skater, your goal can be to skate a, a lap in nine seconds, but we're not necessarily going to start with that as the goal. We're going to start with 10-5 and then 10-3 and then 10-0. Um, and I would say the same on the hockey side of things, breaking this big skill down into small bite-sized pieces. That's not easy from the coach or the educator's perspective, but it's extremely rewarding when you finally figure out how to break it down small enough that you can see how they learn and how they succeed. Catherine, you have a group of young athletes listening. They're they're huddled around you. Their eyes are up. You're the Olympic athlete. They're they're trying to capture every word that you're saying. What advice would you give them? I would give that room of athletes the advice that they should chase after the things that make them feel proud. Hmm. Because in my experience, winning an Olympic medal was a, a really great thing. A really high energy, fantastic moment in my life. But what fueled me forward was the potential for feeling proud and feeling good Mm. about myself. And Mm. what I really like about that is that it doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be aimed at just your sport or just your school or just your family. That goes everywhere. And if you accomplish something that afterwards you notice a feeling of pride, that's it. That's what we're going for. Mm. And take notes on that day because that's what we want to cultivate. Now you move rooms and this other room has all the coaches in it. They don't have the same look as the athletes. They sort of have their arms crossed. They're slouched a bit. You know, they're into what you're saying, but they kind of don't want you to tell them uh, what's going on. What would you tell these coaches? I would tell that room of coaches that Most people will forget what you say, but they will not forget how you make them feel. And my Mm. most important job as a coach is, this is kind of my why behind things, is to make athletes feel important and to make sure that they know that you're not important because you won or lost today. 
you are innately important. Mm. You just are, okay? <laughs> and I want my athletes to know that. And if, if I'm making other people feel important, I know that I'm making a positive contribution to their mindset. And that positive contribution to their mindset is going to move my team forward in the direction I want to go. And the X's mm. and O's are an equally as important piece of getting there. From my perspective, mindset comes first. Why do you think so many coaches belittle their athletes? I think that the previous, I think current coaches often model the behavior that was shown to them as coaches. Mm. And I know that in my worst coaching moments, when I say or do something that's inconsistent with the type of coach that I want to be, I can always think back to a moment of when another coach did or said something that made me feel that way. And this goes back to the idea of awareness and knowing what not it looks like. Mm. You may have been shown a way to coach or teach, but that does not mean that that was the way. And I think some of our most valuable teachers are the people who show us what not it looks like. And I think that that's how it gets passed down from generation to generation. It's important for coaches and educators to say, some of the bad experiences that I had, how do I wish my coach had handled that differently? And then using that knowledge as a form of empowerment to go out and make change for others. I don't know Mm. if this resonates with with you at all, but just kind of as I'm talking, I know that sometimes those moments are where I feel like I have my own sense of hurt feelings, my own sense of like, shoot, that's what not it looks like, you know, and eating that humble pie, going with plan B instead. Um, But that I think, I think that's the power of positive coaching. You know, a lot of people out there, you know, they could be in their 40s and they still remember what that baseball coach said mm-hmm. to them when they were 10 oh, years yeah. old, that that look in their eyes, that harsh word. And, you know, we're not all going to be perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. But there's some power in our words, especially the words that come from a coach that these kids look up to and revere. Yeah. And I think kind of back to that idea of if one person gets one nugget, I've done a really good job today. Yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. It can just be a patient process. And I think the coach models the patient behavior. I think the teacher and the parent, like we're the adults here. We model the patient appropriate behavior. We model what to do when things go sideways. We model how to handle ourselves when we're feeling down or negative. And I think that it has the potential to be such a, a source of light for the next generation of students and athletes. Yeah, I appreciate the way that you've brought educators into this conversation, talking about your Olympic experience and your coaching experience currently. What do you think, as we're reflecting a bit, what do you think schools could learn from your past experience as an Olympic athlete and or your current uh, fix your mindset uh, coaching experience? Yeah, I think schools can learn that there are ways to teach positive mental skills. And a lot of the times we don't want to start talking about how to fix your mindset until it's clear that your mindset's broken. And it doesn't Mm. need to be that way. We could have a foundation of teaching healthy and appropriate mental skills from an early age. Of course, some people are going to struggle. Some people are going to have hard times. They're going to need help getting through that. But I wish it didn't take the athlete having to struggle before someone would notice. And then even after that, before someone will step in and help. I want to pause this podcast for a moment to let you know about another great podcast. Hey, everyone. My name is Mike Dunn, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Rethinking EDU. 
Our podcast is a roundtable discussion about education possibility. We talk with professionals from around the country who are doing groundbreaking work reimagining and remaking schools. Come check us out at rethinkingedu.co or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to the show. Catherine, this has been so great talking with you today. As we wind things down, who do you want to give a shout out to? Well, I'm, I'm going to shout out to my mom today. My mom is going through a knee surgery, mm-hmm. and my mom has been practicing so much of her own mental toughness and positivity and positive self-talk that it just feels appropriate yeah. to shout out to her today. Time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? Final words I'll close the podcast are, uh, the process is simple, but it isn't easy. Great. Thank you uh, for that final word. And thank you, Catherine, so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time sharing your experiences and helping us dive deep. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning into Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. 